Welcome to the Gorilla Social Work Podcast, your refuge for unfiltered ear hustle about the gritty realities of forensic social work. No posturing, no hidden agendas, just evidence-driven discussions. What's good, Gorilla Social Workers? Gear up for another intoxicating chit-chat with your hosts, Jeff, Rust Lust Moore, and yours truly, Mace Warren. Jeff and I are both forensic psychotherapists that specialize in rehabilitating the rogues of our society. We love sharing our misguided musings with all of you, and we thank you so much for your ongoing listenership. Today, Jeff and I are discussing a recent and local publication about the sex offender registry, the practical implications and usage of publicly available registries, and the research on the effectiveness and impact of registration policies. Today's five-star rating is brought to you by Grim Groove, the industry leader in negative affirmation audio. Are you tired of those uplifting affirmations that promise a brighter tomorrow? Well, say goodbye to hope and hello to Grim Groove. Grim Groove provides you with a never-ending stream of negative affirmations tailor-made to crush any ounce of optimism in your soul. But don't take it from me. CutiePie187 says, Who needs self-confidence when you have Grim Groove telling you how worthless you are? MuscleCritter801 says, Thanks to Grim Groove, I finally accepted the futility of existence. So why wait for happiness when you can wallow in despair with Grim Groove? Order your subscription today and start embracing the darkness within. Grim Groove, because life is meaningless, but at least you'll have a soundtrack. And now, on with the show. Yeah, every now and then those I'll be like uh I'll on my playlist cuz you, you know, I'll have my my playlist all um like when I'm lifting or whatever, have everything lined up and then cuz I'll play the songs and then afterward they have whatever the skit is, you know, or something yeah. like that. And then you're like, "What is going on?" I just <laughs> forgot about them. So that was a big thing, like in the early 2000s. It was was to have a song and then have a skit after that song. That was in like like a lot of artists did that. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. R. R. Kelly had some. Yeah, yeah, it was like uh, I noticed there was a lot in. Um, I mean, remember how big uh, Limp Biscuit was in the early 2000s? Yeah, of course. And uh, yeah, they after every song, like, you know, cause you'll, I'll just download it from like Apple music and then it'll be on there and then I'll just listen to it. It's kind of weird. So <laughs> for some reason that reminded me like, remember at nuke, <clears throat> um, and I got to give you credit. You leaned into it, but I, I had the group convinced that you had a hatchet man tattoo. Tramp oh stamp. yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Which it was kind of funny. Cause I, I don't know where that threshold crossed from like ICP just being some trash band yeah. to being a gang, like the juggalos, yeah. you know what I mean? Well, it was, it was like, and, and I love, I love the funny music. It was like, 
the it was it was just kind of like humorous like the it was definitely a novelty yeah right, right. like yeah. It, stuff you'd never heard before right and <laughs> carnival um, rap <laughs> yeah i mean i guess and then and then uh and i mean they had some catchy tunes i guess but yeah, yeah it was so funny because i remember we we've worked with a couple of juggalos and, and I, I love the, the reframe too. They're like, well, it's not a gang. It's more of a family. And like, yeah. <laughs> it's the gathering of the juggalos. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That would be, I remember that was such a big thing. Like the, the gathering. I just, I, how fun would that be to go to? Oh, amazing. I mean, People I know watching off the hook. Dude. I know we're planning on going to Sturgis, but, yeah. um, which is way out of our element, but I mean, that, that would, would be, be another level of out of our element. Yeah. We, uh, it, I think, I, I think I do just fine there though. You'd be I, all right. I know, how, I know how to <laughs> blend in. <laughs> Not like when we went to EDC. <laughs> yeah. Like, we were out of, we so were, that was, we were out damn, of our dude, element I don't there. Look, yeah. I don't look good at all. Yeah. We dude, were speaking of this nostalgia. How yeah. cool is it that Ragnar's happening? Thank man. It's back. I know. Good for you. Freaking, uh, Ragnar. Like, yeah. so that the, yeah, the Wasatch back, man. And that, that came with, I, I, I made it a point to, cause they, I'd always get like promotional emails from them and, and I would always, at least once a quarter, send them back. I didn't e- know you were doing that. An email no, say, no. what are you going to do about the Wasatch back? Cause they just, would they went. ever respond? Yeah. 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 What they, they, um, they did tell me on a couple of occasions, like, um, pay, you know, pay attention for 2024 and, oh, you know, we, and, and, but then I was, I just wasn't optimistic because they had that sprint, uh, which is like a half of it. It's Which is not kind the of, same thing. Yeah, it just yeah. isn't the same thing. So it's, it's too easy or something. It's not like there's something about Ragnar where it's like there's that point during the relay where it just sucks. Yeah. You know, it's after the second leg, maybe about midway through the second leg, where it's like you still, you know, have a whole nother leg to go and you know you're gonna cramp up even more. Yeah. The, like that doesn't exist in the sprint. And so it's just kind of like, you just kind of go jog for a day and then right. there's no hell to pay. There's well, no wonder, overnight. People, people no... probably want to know what we're talking. So this is a relay race that we're doing, um, in June, early June. And it's, uh, so it's like 200 miles. That's not that big of a deal. Cause there's like 12 of us, but, um, we're in two different vans and like, so you run a leg and then you, pass the baton essentially off to the second van. And then you go to another location and wait for them to run. It gives you basically just enough time to chill out, eat something and get tired and get ready. Like yeah, yeah. each person runs three total times. Yeah. You have about what, 10 hours between runs. So yeah. you'll run five miles, 10 hour break. You'll run six miles, 10 hour break, and then maybe run another five or six miles. Yeah. 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 And I, and uh, yeah, that late night one, and I'm just going to make sure nobody in our van gets any sleep, which is really hard to do anyway. Like when you're doing that, that's, that's part of the fun of it is yeah, and, that's what you miss with the sprint and the nonsense that comes out of our mouths too. some of the like, funniest shit we've said happens <laughs> like on no sleep at, for sure. like, while in physical pain. I know. Yeah. Hey dude, I got to give this to you. I forgot about this. So this is a, uh, this Ooh. is a challenge coin from the tip community uh, treatment oh, center. Oh. Yeah. So that was Cody yeah. Floyd gave that to me. To Beautiful. To you. Hey, all right. Yeah. You weren't able to come there for that. I wasn't. Where, okay. Where's my challenge coins when you get challenge coins when I'm not there? Didn't I get you one? No. At a never. for Nuke. Nuke. No. No. Uh, this Nuke. one right here, Steve Yates gave to me after I ran a uh, ran a relay for him. Have I not given you any? No. Oh. Bonneville. You I gave you Bonneville. No. I've never gotten one from you ever in my life. Yeah, where's Bonneville's? I, 
It doesn't. You didn't give it to me. <laughs> I you probably have, have two of them. I've <laughs> <laughs> been meaning to get that to you. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks, thanks Cody Floyd. Four DMS years DMS. later. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Uh, that's cool. All right, well, I'll, well work, I'll, I'll work on that. So I. Uh, so actually, this was this was something that I've been, I've been meaning to talk about um, since back in December, because um, you know uh, uh, one of the one of our, one of the owners of alpha counseling, uh, Adam, you know, how he just loves sending, uh, news clips, like anything related to the KSL. Boom. Right. Anything related to that. And he sent me one of these. And so I wanted to, I wanted to review it with you and it ha- has to do with the registration and the registration is kind of the sex offender registration. It's kind of a controversial topic, I guess, you know, in some circles, sometimes not, but, um, I, I just thought it was, it, you know, because it was local and then it's talking about something that's a little bit bigger. And then there's, I mean, plenty of research to kind of go against this. But what was cool is I found a really cool research article that was associated with this. So I wanted to spend time on, on going over that since I don't know, it has, it's been a minute since we talked about the registry, hasn't it? Yeah. I can't remember the last time. Yeah. So, I mean, in any event though, we'll uh, let's get into this. So here's the, here's the clip I put together for us here. Let me just go ahead and play this. Hey, yo, this one, I'm never going back to McDonald's again, yeah? So imagine, I pull up to the drive through at 10.55 a.m. Breakfast finishes at 11 a.m. This isn't about the, the registry. Box. I, I got to see what I this is, though. Muffin milk, please. <laughs> Guy says, really sorry, mate. We stopped doing breakfast, but feel free to order anything off the lunch menu. And I'm like, bruv, what do you expect me to do? Get a Big Mac at 11 a.m. in the morning? Am I a fucking psycho? Am I a fucking serial killer? Uh, no, it's not a commercial. <laughs> I've still got five minutes to order breakfast. Why are you not serving breakfast? Oh, sorry, mate. We shut up early with the breakfast. So either order something from the lunch menu or see yourself out. I was like, see myself. Out. All right, say nothing. So I drive out of the drive-thru, I go park up outside the front doors. I walk in, I say, yo, let me speak to a manager, innit? I see the guy on the drive-thru window quickly duck behind the desk. He don't want this fucking problem, innit? So I say to the manager, I'm like, yo, I got to the drive-thru with five minutes to spend. You're telling me breakfast has stopped. He goes, I'm really sorry, mate. Um, we packed up breakfast early this morning, but as a way to say sorry, how about I sort you a Big Mac meal? He goes out, grabs me a Big Mac meal at 11 a.m. and hands it over to me, smiling, thinking that that's a good compensation. No, it's fucking not, bro. So I take the Big Mac out. I fucking launch it at his head. He's is just covered in fucking lettuce. He ducks down behind the till, pulls out a fucking Big Mac sauce gun, starts spraying it all over me, bro. My tech fleece is covered in Big Mac. My tech so fleece. Bro, I put bare tissue in my mouth, I get to the straw, I start firing these little pellet bullets, bro. Managed to pop both of his eyeballs. He's a ducks down behind the counter. I go run, jump over the counter. I grab him, I take him up to the grill, bruv, and I start pushing his head down on the grill. His flesh sizzling, the smell of burning human flesh. I throw him back on the floor. I turn around, bro. The other managers come over, and I know this guy's the real deal, because he's got three stars on his fucking shirt. So I'm like, all right, say nothing. That's fucking money. Three stars. A big fucking punch say nothing. Me. I lean back. He starts grabbing toasted burger buns, starts frisbee them at me. I'm like, brother, you fucking mad. How's this? Pull out a 12-gauge sawn off fucking shotgun and I let off a fucking slug between his eyes. Brain comes out the back of his fucking head, drops to the floor. I run around to the drive-thru window. I see the kid hiding underneath the desk. I hand him the shotgun. He knows what to do. He takes the shotgun, puts it in his own mouth and blows his own fucking head off because he don't want this fucking problem from the big general. Who does? So anyway, I get... <coughs> so I grab myself a Happy Meal and I slide the fuck out, bro. I ain't never got McDonald's. 
Uh, well, I, I don't like it when they stop serving breakfast either. But damn, yeah, I, um, I've, I, yeah, I've never had that experience. So that was a commercial at McDonald's. <laughs> but up, 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 I'm loving it. That's funny. Uh, yeah, I, I, I hope that's a joke. I, I'm laughing. I hope. I hope that he held a straight face. Yeah, right, yeah, dude. He, he held it, a straight really, face. That's really why I'm not going to McDonald's ever again. Yeah, yeah, that would be a just good. A, Admits to murder and assisted suicide. That'd be some rough reasons to not go to McDonald's anymore. That escalated so quickly, though. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Uh, I think uh, maybe that was well, just. Yeah, what were we doing again? <laughs> I think that was the wrong clip. All right. Here. Here's our. Here's our true one. More than 100 convicted sex offenders missing from Utah's sex offender registry. That is what the KSL investigators uncovered. And our reporting prompted Utah's Department of Corrections to conduct an internal audit. Tonight, the results are in. And as KSL investigator Daniela Rivera reports, that audit not only confirmed what our team independently found, but revealed the number of people missing from the registry is higher than we knew. The promise. It is a tool we, we do rely on. Utah's online sex offender and kidnapping registry, uh, which promises like the a familiar most website accurate knows. and timely information. So that is our responsibility. We recognize that. But the KSL investigators found that wasn't the case. That's scary. That is really scary. Zero offenders. Nobody. He's not on the registry. For more than a year, the KSL investigators reviewed Utah's registry, cross-referencing it with public records from Utah's parole board, online court records, inmate databases, and knocking on doors in Utah okay. neighborhoods. Uh, are you aware that he's not on the registry? Obviously, this is an important issue for the public. We found dozens of people missing from the registry, not because That's, they that didn't seems like register, a lot of work. but because the state hadn't published them on the side of the registry the public sees. In response to our investigation, Department of Corrections Executive Director Brian Red ordered an internal audit in October. This is important information that needs to be accurate and we're yeah, committed that's to that's a good looking They're fellow right there six percent of offenders ambitious whose profiles should fellow. be published looks on the registry looks like bradley cooper see <laughs> are not let's do the math this week the department says there are eight thousand two hundred seventy nine offenders on the registry six percent is nearly 500 people. Red says the audit did not determine how long this has been going on, but we know the registry has been incomplete for more than a year because we first alerted corrections officials there might be people missing from the registry back in July 2022. At the time, nothing changed, so we kept digging and working to verify what we found. We're focused on moving forward and getting it right. Red, who was appointed to his role in May this year, said he's committed to addressing the issue now. He says there are several factors contributing to an administrative backlog and delays in publishing offenders' profiles for the public to see. It appears it was un underfunded. Including employee turnover in the unit. Because the workload has been so heavy and, and overwhelming. And, and that workload includes a lengthy verification process required well, look at to that publish that on the registry. Do we need to add more resources? Do we need to change processes? Do we need to streamline? We're looking at all of those <clears throat> things right now. As a result of what the KSL investigators uncovered and what their audit confirmed, the department has hired on four temporary part-time employees to work through the backlog. We're four temporary part-time employees. Every single individual that should be on the registry, on the registry. 
Later this year, the job huh. of maintaining the registry is set to move from corrections to the Department of Public Safety. Huh. And Red says he's committed to turning over a registry that is up to date. Mike and Dini. Dude, I want to see what Danielle. that flowchart looks like another time. <laughs> what in the world could be on that thing? That was that thing was intense. See if that well, flowchart no was. If that's if that's the process, no wonder it's so outdated. Yeah. If you're only missing five percent and and you have thirty hoops to jump through to validate it, right? Uh, I wonder. I wonder like the uh, how this came to a reporter's attention. You know what I mean? That that somebody was off of the registry. And that's, that sounds like a lot of work on their end to investigate that as well. Like, seeing, yeah, like seeing that there was that many. And I was reading some of the comments under there. And of course, like, uh, I mean, you could probably guess what a lot of the comments were. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's irresponsible. And, and, um, that this puts public our public safety. Yeah, yeah. This puts yeah. our community at risk right. and stuff like that. But, um, I don't know. I, I, and I think you and I kind of agree on this. And um, I don't know. I think if you just put a little, a little bit of thought into this, you might start to lean this way, but I've, I've always thought about, <clears throat> okay, first of all, like what, what purpose does it serve? And I think the, the obvious purpose is it shows somebody who's committed, you know, a, a, a sexual offense in your neighborhood and, and their address and, um, you know, and, and a picture of them and a, and a vague description of the, the legal statute that's associated with their offense. Right. Um, but then the second part of that is what do you do with that information? And that's where I've always, I've always struggled. Because, well, I mean, I to, like, and, I mean, yeah, you and I see eye to eye on this, mm -hmm. but if I'm going to steal man, the, Oh yeah. Do position that. of the, <laughs> well, it's all right. So, you know, if I, if I've got a child and you know, they're, they're wanting to make friends with neighborhood kids. I'm going to want to know if it's safe for my kid to go over to the neighbor's house or, you know, the, you know, the kids are outside. Do kids even play outside anymore? They're playing kickball. Um, ball goes over the fence into a neighbor's yard. Neighbors seem super friendly giving the ball back like uh, like i don't know how i'd want to know who is this dude do i have something to worry about and and so it would be it would be a peace of mind to know that the people in my neighborhood at least haven't been convicted of a sexual offense and that's well, that's where i think a lot of people line up on advocating for the registry well i and i guess depending on where you live and you look at your neighborhood, you'll find out that that might not be the case that there probably are, you know, uh, registered sex offenders living in your neighborhood now. So that goes to the next question. You're saying that basically if, if I, I would have peace of mind knowing that there's no offenders living in my neighborhood. And so when my kids are outside playing stickball or kickball, whatever they play, um, and, you know, ball goes over a fence and a neighbor gives it to him or whatever. At least I know they're not a convicted sex offender. Right. Right. So what if that is the case? What if you look it up and there's one or two or three that live in your neighborhood? Well, then what? I guess as a parent, if I at least know this house houses somebody that's got a sex offense, I, 
I guess I guess I could kind of have the stranger danger talk with my kid and just say, hey, avoid this house. If this man like come and tell me if this man talks to you mm-hmm. and just sort of. And again, just peace of mind for me to know just so I know who's in my neighborhood and so that I can I can look out for my kids. Would uh, you not have had the stranger danger talk prior to that anyway, like in general? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I certainly should. But so now so now what are you going to do? You're going to show the picture of that guy, like his mugshot to the kids then and then say, hey, if this guy talks to you, you need to tell me. I don't know. Cause I don't, I don't want to scare my kids into thinking the world's a completely scary place, but right. Like what if you spook them and then, right. And then they, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I used to, uh, it, depending on their age. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think kids that play outside, it reminds me of, there was a horrible eighties movie called the monster squad one time. And then there was like a, if anybody knows, they'll know what I'm talking about. It's like a cult classic. Anyway, um, and in that, there's a <laughs> there's a there's a guy in the neighborhood, and he lives in some old decrepit house, and they call him the scary German guy. That's like the dude's. That's his name in the movie. You know, I think that's probably in the credits what he's listed as. Yeah. Anyway, he's actually a good guy. Um, spoiler alert: It's from the night like 1983, so chill. Um, but. Uh, Anyway, they they like make it a point <clears throat> several times throughout the movie to try to peek in his windows and see what's going on. Do you, like, do you think that effect might happen? Like you might peak their curiosity and as a result of that, like make them even more curious. About I haven't what's- thought about that. But now that I'm thinking <clears throat> back to when I was a kid, I 100 percent that the places I wasn't supposed to go, I'd made a damn good attempt to make it there. Yeah. Just the, not, the stuff not, I wasn't supposed to do. I made an attempt to do it. Right. Sorry, mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mrs. Moore, I will have, you know, that Jeff owned multiple insane clown posse CDs. <laughs> He listened to against your will. So um, <laughs> next time you're going to make him uh scrum brownies or whatever they are. <laughs> Oatmeal chews. I'll have Oatmeal you know. Chews. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> you might want to have a conversation with him <laughs> about his teenage years. So, uh, but yeah, dude, that, that, that it would definitely, yeah, well, it, 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 like it's like the Streisand effect. Well, right. Cause I think like you're not going to, um, I, I mean, certainly, I don't know if people would have in, in rare cases would they have the means to move and move to another neighborhood. And I don't even know if that would solve the problem because I mean, I'm not going to say it's ubiquitous, but I mean, you're, you're, you know, a lot of our guys that are coming out of prison, reentering to the community, they're going to go where they can sometimes. And, and sometimes that's with family members, loved ones, and, and who knows where that's going to be. Um, and then sometimes they, you know, will, be encouraged not to all congregate kind of in one area as well. Um, you know, in terms of living arrangements. So yeah, I, I don't know if people would have the means and then, and then also I wonder, well, would they adopt any like changes in their own behavior, not just their kids? I mean, what if you're just a, you know, a young person who, you know, uh, is worried about something happening to them. And so they're, they're conscious of, of like what's happening in their community and paying attention to those things. I mean, are like, you like, if, like if just without kids, just me, me, myself, 
would I modify my behavior if I knew that there was a sex offender living a few doors down? Right. Or with kids. I mean, are you as an adult, as a, as a person who's trying to live their own life now going to alter your behavioral patterns to accommodate or control for this person living in the neighborhood? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to account for like, I'm trying to remove the stuff that I already know about the efficacy of the <clears throat> registry and yeah. just think from the position of somebody like I, I no, I mean, I don't, I don't really know how much I'd modify my day to day other than just having the talk with my kids. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess, uh, <clears throat> maybe this one less invite I send out at the block party. <laughs> <laughs> well, and in that case, uh, so a block party is a good example, actually. Cause if you think about the purpose of a block party, it's like to so, um, to sow relationships within the neighborhood. Yeah. Right. And, and to make fee- people feel welcome and, and mm-hmm. to, to strengthen a, a neighborhood. I, I don't know if you remember a few years back, we went to a, a block party and this was downtown Ogden, like middle of Ogden with our friend, Aaron. Do you remember that? Oh, at his family's party. <clears throat> right. And that's like, the, that's the, like that mid Ogden. Yeah. Right. And Ogden is not for listeners who don't know anything about Ogden, Utah. I mean, his block was cool. His block party was well, cool. Well, sometimes people in Salt Lake, which is our capital, you know, and there's like seedy places in Salt Lake, West Valley and stuff. They'll even be like, don't go to Ogden, bro. Like, so Ogden sometimes is looked at as like the ghetto in a lot of cases. And this is downtown. And this, in the middle of that, they had cultivated what I felt was was kind of a safe environment in this block that they all had. Right. And then they had block parties and it was the whole idea to me was they are inviting everybody there to say, Hey, we're unified and we're, we're part of this and we're part of a neighborhood. Now, if you did that, wouldn't, and you didn't invite old boy, like, wouldn't that make him feel, I don't know, <clears throat> not part of the neighborhood at that point. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that would, he, he would most certainly get the message that he wasn't wanted. Well, right. But then, so then I think about like risk assessments that we use uh-huh. and clients who, who live in a neighborhood that's high in crime and are exposed to crime are, are more likely to commit future crimes as right. a result of that. But also neighbor, like offenders who don't feel like they have close ties to their neighborhood mm-hmm. also commit crimes at a higher rate as well. Like, wouldn't it be, in other words, wouldn't it be in your best interest to reach out to that guy and try to make him part of the neighborhood or make him feel and, welcome and, at least? And, like maybe, maybe in a way, cause like I was going to come at you like sort of with the, um, he should have thought of that before he did this, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, but, but like, Th- the, thanks dad. But once, yeah, but once you're, you should have thought about Jeff more not inviting him to the block. Party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like with you pointing it out that like, okay, that I mean, it's, it's in my best interest. If this guy doesn't feel pushed closer to returning to old criminal behaviors. And so, sure. and, and so I guess I could look at it if I'm, cause I, I still am not going to trust the guy, but you know, if I, if we invite him, it's kind of like you can, I can get a better sense of the guy. And if he's a threat, if I get to know him, break bread with him, develop some trust. And I can, I can then maybe see, does he conduct himself like a trustworthy dude? Is he trying to also oh, you invite him like as a double agent then? Well, he, <laughs> I, he he's not going to know that I'm trying to vet him yeah. necessarily. Yeah. Well, good news. You're not the only one on like a lot of people think about this. Um, for good reasons. And I, I think it's worthwhile. Like I, I looked into, this is probably the most, the most, uh, 
um, relatable, relevant study that, that we looked at here as far as this goes. Uh, the title of it um, is The Relationship Between Sex Offender Registry Utilization and Awareness. And this was um, at the uh, the Journal of Sexual Abuse, which is a journal for research and treatment. Um, <clears throat> the authors were uh, uh, Poco Kernsmith, Aaron Martin, Sarah Cron, and Roger Kernsmith. So I wonder if the Kernsmith are related. They've got it. <laughs> what would the chance to be they're not? <laughs> so basically the abstract, kind of a, a summary of it. This examined the impact of sex offender registry policies, investigating the utilization of publicly available registries. They only tested this among uh, Michigan residents. And this was uh, the end size around was a little over 700. So pretty good. They did yes, it through a telephone, a telephone survey. Um, the respondents were questioned about their use of the registry, uh, their perceptions of sex offenders in their community. And the findings revealed that only a small percentage of them had actually utilized the registry. Um, and that the reasons for that were just, they weren't interested or they, they had the perception that they lived in a safe area. And like you were referencing absence of children, they didn't have any thoughts about that. And then despite some correlation between registry use and awareness of offenders in the community, um, about 50% of the participants still believed that no offenders, uh, resided in their area after viewing the registry. In other words, they viewed it, saw somebody who was living in the registry and then still said, no, they're not living. In, they, what do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know if that's just denial, you know? Um, Pretty, it was good. It was good research. They did a logistical regression analysis to predict uh, registry use and awareness of offenders. Oh, yeah. I totally so, remember what that means. Yeah. Logistical <laughs> regression analysis. Well, Avi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I've kind of thought that, like, like, how the people that really advocate for the registry, mm-hmm. you know, if, if we were to take, do like an actual inventory on the, the amount of time they spend on the registry, how often do they actually go to it? I, I would, I would guess probably not very often. And, well, but they, I mean, it's a safety blanket to them though. They what, feel safe knowing it's there. So you do this for a living. How often, when was the last time you looked at it? Oh man. Years. Yeah. Probably five, I, I, I five think, years ago for me. I, I think actually I, I, I used it, but it was to look up something specific to my job. Yeah. I was, I used it and I was doing it as an example for somebody that I was going through like a training with. And that had to have been five years ago. <laughs> Do you know where I live? Yeah. My shit lights up. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like a block from Weaver County jail. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, this was, it, it it's kind of crazy. Cause this is like federal laws were in the 1990s. Um, this is where Megan laws came down. And then um, the, the, these laws are really popular though. Like everybody supports them, but, but, while everybody supports them, hardly, I mean, at least from this study, there was a very, very small percentage of people who actually utilized it. So although the registry is very popular in terms of people saying, oh, yeah, we should have that. They're not using it. Rarely do people use it. And, and the goals originally, like, so you say, well, why was this created? I mean, and this is part of their literature review. They said that registries were intended to raise awareness of sex offenders in the community and provide a perceived sense of safety by allowing people to avoid potentially dangerous individuals. So it kind of goes back to what you were saying, which was, if I know this person, I can I can avoid them. Right. Um but they do acknowledge that there's misconceptions that most offenders victimize children and and are strangers. In other words, like, you know, um, 
so I'm going to see that and I'm not going to think that that's a person who left prison is now living with a family member because they're trying to get back on their feet. You know, uh, I, I think a lot of people think of offenders as somebody who hides in the bushes and jumps out, snatches somebody, you know what that's I mean? What people have in mind. Yeah. yeah. So, so which, which, yeah, of course that's scary, you know, but that that's kind of a rare, a rare, um, occurrence. And, and, of, and of course it's just like whenever I listen to a dateline, you know, and, uh, some gal gets murdered or something. I'm like, and then I was like, oh, okay, who's the husband? Oh, okay. He did it. You right, know, I'm like immediate, yeah. like most people don't know that. Um, well, it, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but, uh, the, the victims are typically, uh, a relative of the person. It's not just some stranger in the community. Yeah, there, there's some, there's some <clears throat> kind of sex offender archetypes that exist. It's the guy in the bushes. It's the, the dude with the free candy. It's the guy that can you help me look for my kitten or whatever? Yeah. It, and, and then like, then there's the, sort of the creepy uncle is the other, um, sort of archetype that that that's the one that might actually be closest to reality. Yeah. 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 Um, but the, the other ones are <clears throat> pretty rare. Sure. Con- conceivably. And, yeah. and so, yeah, the, the, as, as you're saying, it's the, the, the person, you know, that has regular contact and access to your kids is going to be the one most, most frequently. And I mean, I even think of that, like, I don't know, I'd, I'd have to do some thoughts on this, but I, I really can't think of very many of my clients over the years that offended on a neighbor. I can think of a couple, mm-hmm. but that like one hand for sure. One hand. Well, and th- those are the stories that, I mean, going back to Dateline that are probably told in a little bit more regularity because they are sensational. Yes. Like, and, and, and it's, a, it's, it's not a, I mean, if you're going to do a true crime story, you don't want a boring story, right? You want something that um, is going to uh, excite people, not in a good way, but I mean, like I always wonder, I, I listen to a lot of true crime and it kicks on their fear response. Um, it's, yeah, it's like, I mean, oh, shit. It, it, yeah, I don't know if it's because other th- stuff is just boring to me, but <laughs> like, I, I want to hear like gnarly stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Ed Kemper stuff. <laughs> yeah, Ed Kemper. yeah. So, um, but that's the one thing I, you know, in there, they kind of cite that, um, you know, the, the in, there is some intent to deter offenses, but the research indicates that like registration and community notification does not significantly decrease offenses, which kind of makes sense. Like I, I, I've never, when I, when I'm talking to my clients who have reoffended. Um, but were for a period of time, maybe able to implement some of their techniques or, or like, and I ask them, well, what, what, what was the end result? You know, they never say, well, I was really scared of the registry. The registry is neither here nor there to them. Like they don't perceive it's a burden to them in terms of like their privacy, but it's not a deterrence for future crimes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, And like, I don't know. Um, and one thing it says is, you know, public notification may just actually just increase fear in communities without necessarily leading to any behavioral changes in individuals. So that kind of goes back to my question to you was, are you going to change your behaviors? The answer is probably not right. because you can't give up work. You're not going to, what are you going to do? Right. And then you're just going to what sit out on your lawn chair all day or something. Keep an eye on them. So now you just live in fear and you haven't made any behavioral changes. And and just from a mental health perspective, that's just not a great place to be. No. Like I'm, I'm constant, it, you know, uh, state of anxiety. 
but then I don't do anything to modify that. I mean, if my fear and the corresponding behavior that comes from that fear would be effective in helping me care for my kids, then it would make some sense. You know, if uh, a practical example, you know, if a, like a, a pit bull is charging towards me and my family as I'm out going for a walk, my fear is going to jump up. I have an immediate response to put myself between the pit bull and the kids that the, the, the behavior that comes from that fear makes rational sense in the moment it's effective and it's a good use of my my emotional and physical energy even if Why I get hate on pit bulls, dude? what if it was poodle. Bo- what if poodle. it was sorry okay. what poodle. if it was blue <laughs> that little sweetheart <laughs> yeah he, he, he is a sweetie yeah yeah i but no i i get it they they um compared to a poodle <laughs> which those things can be vicious yeah. they uh it's all depending on their cut too like you know poodle you can't really change the appearance of a pit bull very much yeah they, they're just intimidating period yeah, you yeah, know what i mean super athletes um yeah but, but like my, my behavior like the behavior that would come from the anxiety that the registry might leave me with knowing that a, a the guy five doors down has an offense like the the fear and the corresponding behavior doesn't do anything to mitigate the risk it doesn't help it's not effective it's just going to spike paranoia is going to make me feel worse. It's there's loads of research. This has been studied multiple times that Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't make an impact on recidivism. Yeah. And I, and I kind of didn't want to focus on, cause we may have talked about that before, like uh, the, the impact on recidivism and, but I, I wanted to look at like how much people use this because the news, the, you know, the, the news story that started this, not the McDonald's one, but the news story that started this was, was kind of like an, Oh my, you know, Oh my hell. Like there's, there's almost 500 defenders that are not on the registry. It's like you weren't checking anyway, bro. Right. Right. So, so kind of the research out of this, and again, it's limited and they acknowledge the limitations here. They had a pretty good end size, but, um, but despite the fact that most offenders lived in almost every zip code that they, that they surveyed only about 25% of anybody living in that zip code were aware that offenders were living there. So, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, sometimes um, if it's holding, if it's holding public officials accountable to a popular registry that citizens believe we need whether or not they utilize it or anything. They've elected people who are now being paid to do this. I guess that's an argument. Well, I, it's, just, it's, 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 it's taxpayer money. It should be used effectively. I guess you could say that, but I don't think that's what people are upset about. Sure. Really. I, I just don't, I guess what I'm waste. saying is, is, I mean, obviously you and I have a lot of respect for department of corrections and the work that they do. And I think our relationship with like officers puts us in a unique position to say, you know, um, I think they do the best with what they can and, and it's not all malicious. It's, you know, like the way that that was framed almost made it seem, uh, I get not intentional, but certainly negligent. You know what I mean? Which I don't think that's, that's what it was. It probably was, I don't know. You saw the flow chart. So (laughs) it seems, it seems like a, a a process And, and, and also there, I don't know if that's all Department of Corrections either. You know what I mean? There's a lot of rules that go into registry. And um, it, you know what I would want to know? What The research I would want to know is um, because there is a a crime, third degree felony of a failure to register. 
And I would want to know the percentage of all offenders who are supposed to register, how many of them fail to register. And if that number is 6%, well, then wouldn't that explain? What if that was it? Man? Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. But, but and, and it's not that they didn't do a good job. Like I said, they did a lot of work putting in the research to figure that out. But it just calls into question, well, what's really happening here? You know, is is it is, is it, it negligence? these guys failed to register and that's why they're not on there? Um, was it just because, I don't know, there was a downturn in the people who managed to put people on there or whatever, you know, and because and this is what people don't understand is most of the time that's done by the offender in the in the community. They just go and put their information in there. Their PO checks to make sure it's on there. And then there's kind of a registration police that they check in with from time to time as well. Uh-huh. But it, it's not, you know, I, I don't know. Twice a year. <laughs> there's not a bunch <clears throat> of people in an, in a room just inputting information on these guys because they move, they get, you know, they change homes. Different they job. they didn't get different yeah. jobs, all the rest of it. So I don't know. I, it, it, I mean, it draw my attention to it, but I don't know if it uncovered some salacious story. You know what I mean? No, no. I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I wish that some of the information that we're talking about got more coverage on the news about like, again, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. However, that saying goes, it, it, it would be nice though, if news organizations put some context to it saying mm-hmm. that, yeah, okay. 6%, um, uh, you know, 600 people, however many or whatever, whatever the number that they said was, um, is, uh, it's not matching up. With that said, let's put that into some context. Here's here's what the registry does. Here's what it doesn't do, mm-hmm. and, and here's what to make of it as a as a citizen. And maybe here's the degree to which it should be something that causes you significant fear. Right. And and the last part here, I thought was kind of cool. It kind of validated where we've come from before on this was um, implications, interventions. They they were saying that, well, some of the interventions may focus on informing residents about the inclusion of offenders who offend against adults and children, like in neighborhood type things to make them feel more included in there. Therefore, they probably won't try to trash your neighborhood by doing something like that. And they also kind of put an optimistic thought about it, which was increasing registry usage may have positive consequences, such as a, a better informed community. But might also lead to like further social isolation of the offenders, you know, and potential negative effects on recidivism rates. But mm. I mean, it, it, it was good to kind of see that um, even though it exists, it's super popular. Not many people use it. Um, and uh, so to mm-hmm. the degree that that story mattered, I don't know. So, but yeah. So to be continued, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <Maybe> <laughs> no, there's a no, no immediate solutions. So. Yeah, there's not. Nope. Okay, cool. Well, we solved nothing. Thanks everybody. <laughs> okay. See you next week. <laughs> okay. And that wraps it up for yet another episode of the gorilla social work podcast. If you're still listening, congratulations on having the attention span of a caffeinated squirrel. Now, before you scurry off, do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating and leave a review. It's not like we need the validation or anything, but it might stroke our fragile egos enough to keep us from quitting this thankless gig. Plus, it'll help other guerrilla social workers emerge from the darkness and join our dysfunctional family. You can hunt us down on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you indulge in your auditory masochism. We'd like to stay in chat longer, but we're lying. Good night.